All right, this morning we are back in Hosea, and we are doing Hosea 11 through 14. So if you've got the, the little book, it is on page 48. If you have a Bible, I don't know. All right. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son, The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath." They shall go after the Lord, and he will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return to them to their homes, declares the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit, but Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel. And in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. A merchant, in whose hands are false balances, he loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am the Lord your God. From the land of Egypt, I will again make you dwell in tents, as in the days of the appointed feast. I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions, and through prophets gave parables. If there is iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars are also like, are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. 
By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet, he was guarded. Ephraim was given bitter provocation, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. But I... Am the Lord your God. From the land of Egypt, you know no God but me, and besides me, there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion. Like a leopard, I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast, and there I will devour them like a lion, as a wild beast would rip them open. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers, those of whom you said, Give me a king and princes? I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. The inequity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son. For at the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord, shall come, rising from the wilderness, and his fountain shall dry up, his spring shall be parched, it shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Samaria shall bear her guilt, because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword, their little ones shall be dashed in pieces, and their pregnant women ripped open. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls and vow of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more. Our God, to the work of our hands, in you the orphan finds mercy. I will hear their, heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall not root like the trees of Lebanon. His roots shall spread out, his beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with, you, with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. 
Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, even a passage where you uh, announce some, some pretty harsh punishments for your people. When you announce that uh, you're going you're to pour out judgment on them for their sin and their rebellion against you. And yet, even in the midst of a passage like this, there's, there's good news. You remind your people, you remind us that, that you're, you're not like us. That you're, you're better than us. That you remain holy. That, that you remain separate from us in our sin. That you provide a way of redemption for us. For us to return. For us to come back. Father, we pray this morning that as we look at your word together, that you would, you would send your spirit to remind us of, of who you are, that you are a God who is holy and just, and that you are simultaneously merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf, that it's because of you that, that we can, can benefit from your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, thanks Tim and Courtney for reading that really long passage. We're at the end of Hosea, uh, and so they read chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14. And so what's kind of happening here at the end of the book, if you, if you remember before Advent, we got to this section of Hosea where Hosea and the Lord kind of flip back and forth between speaking. There's kind of a, a, a back and forth as they, they talk about Israel. And so chapters 11, 12, and 13, they, they continue that. Um, and the passage kind of moves from condemning Israel for their rebellion and rejection to kind of a decision over what to do to punishment for their sins. But... The, the good news is that the first three of these chapters, they, they leave open the door for salvation to come in the future. And the book ends with chapter 14 that, that kind of reiterates that. It's a call to repentance for God's people and a promise of restoration. So that's what we're going to see as we move through this passage. And, and honestly, this is, this is a passage, and I feel like I've said this multiple times as we've been in the Minor Prophets. Uh, but this week uh, was, was a hard week for us. Um, like we've had, we've had just small things and big things going on in our lives that, that at one point this week I was talking to Sean and I was like, hey man, I, I, know, I know theologically, I know objectively that God loves us, but right now I don't feel like he does. And then I was like, Awesome. Hosea 11, 12, and 13. That's really helping bring back that love and feeling. Um, but then comes chapter 14, and it, it, is, it is good news. There is good news in this passage that's, that's full of bad news. And so uh, we're going to get into it, and what we're going to do is we're going we're to walk through it, um, look at the things Hosea says, look at the things God says as they kind of flip back and forth, and then draw what we can from the book 
at the end. And so the first thing we have is, is the Lord speaking. He speaks in chapter 11 through the very beginning of chapter 12. So here... Uh, as we go through these verses, he remembers the love that he has for Israel when they were young. And there's this kind of theme throughout these sections where he's, he's recounting the history of Israel, of, of who they are and what they've done. So then he can, alongside that, talk about who he is and what he's done for them. And so uh, at the beginning, he remembers the love that he had for Israel when they were young, when he brought them out of Egypt. But as time went on, uh, the more comfortable they got, they, they rebelled, they worshiped idols. Uh, he cared for them, but at times they didn't know it was him. They would worship idols, good things would happen, and they would attribute those to the idols instead of the Lord. He says that he led them with cords of kindness. He eased their yoke. So like even in the Old Testament, God is being kind and gracious and merciful to his people. He is, he is gentle and lowly with them there as well. They didn't go back to Egypt, but instead of going back to Egypt, he says they turned to Assyria as king. God wanted to be the king over his people, but they, they rejected him and instead of turned to a foreign nation. And as a result of that, God says that judgment is going to fall on them because they are a people who are, who are bent on rebelling against him. Like that's who they are. They're, they're broken on the inside and everything in them is against him. But... Despite that, the Lord says he doesn't want to give them up. He doesn't want to hand them over. And there's even some, some lamentation about the judgment that's coming. He says that his compassion grows warm and tender. And so he's not going to execute his anger against them and destroy them. He's going to pour out judgment, but he's not going to just completely wipe them off the face of the earth. Why? Why won't he do that? He says, because he's God and not a man. He's the Holy One in their midst and won't come in wrath. This right here is good news for us, right? It's very good news for us that God is not like us. This week, in the midst of that frustration, uh, so Jen, Jen lost her job this week. She was, she was laid off, which isn't, isn't the end of the world, but is a source of stress and frustration. And so I can't do anything about that. But there was this other situation this week that I was like, I can do something about this. And so what I did is I took all my stress and frustration about Jen's job and her van, which is broken, which is another thing, and I just fueled it into this other situation, which was not good. And I wasn't who I wanted to be in that situation. Uh, I wanted to make other people feel like I was feeling. I wanted to win because I had lost over here. Um, and thankfully, Sean was also like, hey, I think you did this. You should maybe call these people and apologize. Um, and he was right. And, and I did because he told me to, but I wouldn't have without that. So don't give me credit. Give Sean credit. But the point is that when people wrong us, we usually wrong them. Or we wrong somebody else who's not even involved. But God isn't like us. Right? We wrong him. And he doesn't wrong us. I praise God that he is God and not a man. That he's the holy one in our midst that doesn't come in wrath. We deserve wrath. Right? We deserve him treating us like we would treat us. 
But he doesn't treat us like that. He shows the mercy, and it says because he shows the mercy, that they'll follow him again. His children, he says, will come trembling from the east and the west when he roars. And he promises to return them to their homes. He's going to bring them back. Punishment is going to come, but then he's going to bring them back. He's going to restore them as his people. At the end of chapter 11, he says that Judah is still striving to remain faithful, but the northern kingdom, that's, that's Israel, they've consistently rebelled. They've surrounded the Lord with lies. They feed on the wind. They multiply falsehood. They multiply violence. They seek favor with foreign nations instead of him. So they're, they're, they're gone at this point. And so in the next few verses, Hosea has an indictment for them from the Lord. So he starts reminding them, Hosea, about their history. Uh, Hosea, or Jacob a.k.a. Israel in the room. He, he, he grabbed his brother by the heel. Uh, he wrestled with God. He met him at Bethel. In verse 6 of chapter 12, there's a call to return to the Lord, for, for Israel to kind of remember this history, to remember who they are, to return to love and justice, to wait upon the Lord. But instead of that, instead of doing that, instead of remembering who they really are, that they are God's children, he says they use false balances. They, they love to oppress. They think that they can hide their sin because of their wealth, because of the good things that God has given them. So it flips back to the Lord, recounting more of his history with Israel. Verse 9, he says this, I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents, as in the days of the appointed feast. I spoke to the prophets. It was I who, who multiplied visions, and through the prophets gave parables. If there is iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars are also like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. So God here is telling them that, that he's the one who, who gave them spiritual life. He's the one that's been leading them spiritually. They've been attributing these things to idols, but he's the one that's been doing it. And then verse 11 is kind of a, a parable that he gives to his people through the prophets. He's saying that if they continually sin against him, they're going to be brought to nothing. And they do that in Gilgal by worshiping idols. Hosea continues the complaint in the next six verses. It says that the Lord brought them out of Egypt by Moses. He, he led them by a prophet out of Egypt. He led them by a prophet in the wilderness. But Israel provoked the Lord to anger uh, with disgraceful deeds and worshiping idols. The result of that is they're guilty. So God is leading his people, but they're going astray. They sin more and more. They make metal images for themselves. Because of their rebellion, because of their idolatry, he says they will be like the morning mist, like the dew, like chaff on the threshing floor, and like smoke from a window. These are all things that, that disappear quickly. This is what Israel's fate is. Like they're, they're, they're going away because of their rejection of God. But, verse 4, he's God. He's the one who brought them out of Egypt. They, they don't know any real gods other than him. There's no savior besides them. He knew them in the wilderness. He knew them when their bellies were full. And that's when they forgot about him. So, he says, he's like a lion, He's like a leopard who stalks them. He's like a, a mama bear that, that's robbed of her cubs. He's going to fiercely pour out judgment on them because they stand against him. He asks where their king is now. Their king has been taken away by him. Right? They turned to Assyria instead of him. He took that option away from them. He says they've stored up their sin. Instead of returning to the Lord, they're like a baby who refuses to be born. Right? That's what babies are supposed to do. They're supposed to incubate in there for nine months and then, and then come out. Israel, as God's people, are supposed to return to him when they sin. But instead, they're, they're being stubborn. They're rebelling. They're rejecting him. They're not returning to him to repent. 
And then comes verse 14. He says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. So at first glance, this, this, this verse doesn't make sense. Right? If, you, if you read through the passage, it, it doesn't seem to fit because it's in the midst of a, of a section where he's announcing that he's going to ferociously punish his people. Right? He's going to be like a bear. He's going to be like a lion. He's going to be like a leopard. He's been stalking his people, and now he's ready to pour out the judgment. But then he says... He's going to ransom them from Sheol. He's going to redeem them from from death. He's going to take away the plague of death and the sting of the grave. And the point here is that, that even in the midst of this impending doom, he's making it clear to his people that, that his, still, his, his plan for them is still redemptive. His ultimate goal for his people is to redeem them and bring them back. But the verse ends... By saying, compassion is hidden from my eyes. What he's saying is that even though his ultimate plan is still to redeem his people, even though his ultimate plan is one of salvation, they're not going to avoid judgment. In this moment, it's still going to fall on his people. And Hosea confirms this in the last two verses of chapter 13. He says, though he, that's Israel, may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come, rising from the wilderness, and his fountain shall dry up, his spring shall be parched, it shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Samaria shall bear her guilt, because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword, their little ones shall be dashed in pieces, and their pregnant women ripped open. Judgment is going to fall on Israel, and it's going to be terrible. It's going to be awful. God is going to do this because of their rejection, because of their rebellion, because of their continual turning to idols instead of them. Which is why Hosea calls them to repent one more time in chapter 14. Right? You would think at this point, he would have had enough. You would think at this point, God would just reject them once and for all. But he gives them, in chapter 14, almost, almost a liturgy of repentance. He says, like, here are the words. Take these words and return to the Lord. He calls them to return to the Lord because they've stumbled in their sin. He tells them what to say. They, they, they need the Lord to take away the sin because they, they can't do it themselves. They need to recognize that, that Assyria can't save them, that their military can't save them, that, that the work of their own hands can't save them. He reminds them that their only hope is in the Lord. That they're like orphans who have no one else to look to other than him. And if they repent, even after all this, God says that he will heal them. He will love them freely. He will will be like dew to them that causes them to blossom and flourish. And he'll do this for them because he says he's not like their false gods. He looks after them, and and all of their fruit, it comes from him. And the book ends with this this proverb from the author. He says, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble of them. It's a call at the very end to to pay attention to the message of Hosea, to to heed his words, to to learn from them, to benefit them. from. He's he's saying what God has done with his people is right. 
And the upright see that and, and walk in those ways, but sinners stumble in them. This, this passage in the book as a whole show us that, that God has remained faithful to Israel throughout their history. Despite their, their ongoing adultery, despite their ongoing rejection, despite their ongoing rebellion and idolatry, despite the fact that they look to anything and everything other than God, when all he does is call them to himself and love them, is an illustration of the love that he has for his people. That it is a, a never stopping, never ending, never giving up kind of love. He's remained faithful through multiple cycles. These chapters, we just get a, a small sampling of their history. But if you read through the Old Testament, you see that he does it again and again and again and again. But even after pouring out judgment, he made it clear that, that the salvation of his people is still his goal. His judgment, it's, it's redemptive. It's not punitive. His goal isn't just to, to punish his people. It's to bring his people back. It's to, to redeem them. Like Hosea, God married an unfaithful bride who continues to, to love others. And yet he continues to love them and, and call us back to himself. And in Jesus, we get the ultimate picture of the love that God has for his people. Right? He came to bring us back. He lived a life we couldn't live. He paid the penalty for our sin. He took the punishment that, that should have been on us. Right? He stood between us and God's ferocious judgment against us and our sin. We, we worship idols. We trust in ourselves. We rebel against him. We, we sin against him. But, but mercifully and graciously and lovingly, our God isn't like us. He's not a man. He is holy and faithful to save. And that's the good news that Hosea has for us. That our God loves us with a redemptive love. That he loves us with a, with a love that, that we don't have. Because he's not like us. He's better than we are. And he sent his son to save us. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you are not like us and that your son is not like us and that your spirit is not like us. That, that you treat us far better than we deserve and far better than we would treat ourselves or others. We pray that you would send your spirit to use your words in Hosea to make us less like us and more like you. That we would see the love that you love us with. That we would experience the love that you love us with. And that it would draw us closer to you. That it would 
fuel our, our worship and fuel our obedience and fuel our pursuit of you. Jesus, we thank you that you came as the, the ultimate picture of the love that you have for us. That even, even Hosea's acts in this book pale in comparison to what you've done for us. And so we pray that you would use the good news of the gospel to stir our affections for you and our affections for one another. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.